Matthew chapter 2. It has been a blessed day. I trust the Lord will speak once again to our hearts tonight. At the end of the message this morning, uh, in uh, my session, I made the distinction between unrighteousness and self-righteousness. Unrighteousness being when we cave into the works of the flesh. Self-righteousness when we depend on the work or the strength of the flesh. And... uh, The one is irreligion, no religion in a certain sense. The other is counterfeit religion. And we often think it looks better, but it's all a facade. It's not better. Both are just sheer flesh and need the remedy of God. And regardless of which side of that spectrum you find yourself on tonight, I want us to focus in on God's provision to meet the need. And we're going to look at a passage that fits right here in our Christmas season as we're just coming off of it. Uh, but I'm going to apply it in the provisional way as we'll see. But let's look at this, Matthew chapter 2. And I'll begin to read in verse 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Oh, what a verse. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had uh, privily or secretly called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. We know from the end of the story that that was all a deceit. He was just finding out the information so he could make sure this child was killed. Verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star, which they saw in the east, went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. The title of this message, right out of this seasonal text, is The Christmas Star. Lord, I pray tonight that you'd open our eyes to the person emphasized in this passage. And then, Lord, may we respond to that person as these wise men did. And, Lord, I pray that you would so move in our hearts that we would be among the wise of heart. Now, Lord, I pray for that one that's often discouraged, often feeling the sense of shame, often feeling that sense of frustration because of another defeat, and Lord, often preoccupied in their mind with the next defeat. 
Lord, I pray that you would open their understanding to the glorious provision through Jesus. Lord, I pray for those who find themselves on the other end of that spectrum, in the self-righteous, frustrated attempts that are hollow and something's dreadfully missing. Again, Lord, open our eyes. Lord, we sang tonight, hallelujah, I have found him. Lord, would you so thrill us with the truth tonight that we would shout, hallelujah, I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. Lord, I plead the blood of Jesus. Would you protect us from the attack of the enemy who so seeks to hide the truth that is before us. And Lord, I pray that that would not be allowed. Lord Jesus, we claim our position in you at the throne far above the enemy and holding up your blood in your name, exercise your authority over the powers of darkness that would in any way seek to hinder night and trust you that that not be allowed. Lord, those who've never seen this truth before, awaken them. May they see it gloriously. Lord, those who've already had this truth uh, uh, revealed to them, Lord, reveal it in a greater way, a deeper way. Take them deeper, Lord. And Lord, may you be honored. And may we, we truly rejoice tonight as these wise men rejoiced 2,000 years ago. We trust you to do this in our hearts. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Years ago, when we lived in Chicago, my father uh, would occasionally take us down to do something special. And downtown Chicago has many things, many museums and uh, various places to go. One of them is the Chicago Planetarium. And so one Christmas season, my father got us tickets and we went to the planetarium. And they had a special showing dealing with possibilities behind the star that we read about here in Matthew chapter 2. And so we got in this big dome-shaped room. And we had our big uh, <coughs> recliner seats that uh, 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 reclined backwards. And we looked up and they began to uh, have this camera come out. And all of a sudden the, the dome was now looking like the night sky. And you could see uh, the Milky Way. And you could see uh, the Big Dipper and some of the things that uh, you might be familiar with. And uh, they show you some of that first. And then they begin to walk you through uh, a scientific uh, a standpoint of what they think could be possibilities of what these wise men saw uh, when they, uh, from the east, looked over toward Israel and saw this star that arrested their attention. And uh, they talk about a particular comet. And I don't remember what year it came through, but they had the comet go across the sky. And uh, we all sat there dazzled. <laughs> and uh, then they had a supernova, and they explained that concept. And they showed one that happened in a certain date that's around the time period and so on. And they gave various uh, explanations. Uh, probably one of them was the uh, lining up of the planets of Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars in 6 B.C. But you know, the truth is, I don't really think that any of those options are what these wise men really saw. Now, these men, aware of scriptural truth, were undoubtedly aware of the statement in Numbers 24, verse 17, There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. That indicates that the star that they saw in the sky was simply leading them to the star. <laughs> because the star is a person. There shall come a star out of Jacob. And a scepter, well that's Jesus, shall rise out of Israel. And so Jesus truly is the Christmas star himself. 
The other stars led to him. Now these wise men, sometimes called the Magi, were Gentiles, not Jews. Some believe they came from a priestly class in Persia. They obviously studied the skies, the stars, and were uh, astronomers. Some say astrologers too. I don't know, but they obviously studied the skies. They studied the stars. And they knew enough from Scripture that they recognized something when they saw the star that we read about here. And then seeing that star, they came and they were searching for the star himself. The king, the scepter star, the king star. And uh, the obvious place that they thought the king would be is in Jerusalem. So evidently that initial scene of the star gave them general direction. It did not give them specific direction because they did not go to Bethlehem first. They went to Jerusalem. And, of course, we just read it, how they talked uh, to Herod and so forth. And then it was discovered through uh, uh, the uh, Jews there that it was Bethlehem where he was to be born. And so leaving Jerusalem, the Bible tells us that, again, a star led them. This time it went right over where the young child was. Now, it is believed that this is probably about two years after Jesus was born. The second phase of this had to be a low star. If it was high in the sky, if it was high over Bethlehem, it would be high over Jerusalem. So it was miraculous. That's my point. I believe all of this is miraculous. It's clearly uh, something that uh, they saw and perhaps others did not see. It may have been like uh, uh, the scenario that we read about in the Old Testament when uh, Elisha came out and his servant came out of their house one day and they saw the city surrounded by the enemy and the servant cried out, Oh, what are we going to do? We're surrounded. And uh, Elisha said, Oh, Lord, open his eyes. And then all of a sudden he saw the Lord's host, the chariots of the Lord that were there, which means it was not physical, it was spiritual. It is possible that this star, especially in the second phase, was spiritual and others may not have seen it. We do know that it led them precisely to the very house right over where Jesus was. Now keep in mind, when the Jews years before had been deported from Israel, many of them went to the area of Persia, today modern day Iran. And so these magi, these wise men... Uh, perhaps were influenced by those Jews. I think it is very fair to say that these men were believers. Because in the story in, uh, uh, that we uh, just read, it says, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Fascinating. No one's born king. They're born princes. They understood, this is the king, this is the Messiah, this is God with us. And so they asked that question, where is he? Well, that's a good question in all of our festivities and in everything we do. Where is he? But they go on to say, where is he that is born king of the Jews? These were believers. The magi, the wise men, were also often king makers. In that time of history, these were the men that often selected a king or were the ones that were a part of the coronation of that king. And thus Herod was afraid at this question. 
When these kingmakers ask, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Obviously someone other than Herod. (laughs) And Herod was troubled. And it says all Jerusalem with him. And it's quite apparent Herod was a very jealous man. (laughs) As you read on in the chapter, we didn't read it all. Of course, he ends up killing all the little boys, two years old and under, in the city of Bethlehem in his attempt to kill uh, Jesus. He was an insecure man. Dictators are. And when they suspicion anybody that could be a threat to them, they kill them. And this Herod was one of, most, one of the most ruthless kings of history. He killed his own sons. He killed his favorite wife. I'm not sure what happened to the non-favorites, but uh, the favorite wife got killed. He's a brutal man. And these men ask, where is he? Where's the star? Where's the scepter? Where is he that is born king of the Jews? And God leads them miraculously. And they finally get there. And uh, they sought him. They found him. And they worshipped him. And they gave him gifts. Can you imagine Joseph, Mary, and all the simplicity of their surrounding? And these magi come in and bring gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh all very expensive gifts these wise men responded wisely to the christmas star to jesus and so we can ask ourselves the question are we responding wisely to the christmas star himself to jesus Now, perhaps we would ask the question, what does that mean? How do we do that? All the noise that is around us, what does it mean to be like these wise men and have a heart that is wise and respond wisely to Jesus, the Christmas star? To answer that, I want us to think of it very simply. We must give way to two realities. The first reality is the real you. And when I say that, I'm talking to those who are born again. I'm talking to those who have come to a point where you've understood that you sinned against God, that uh, you're, you're really headed to the destiny of hell, but that Jesus died for your sins, put his sins on himself, rose again, conquered sin, death, and hell, and you made that choice to trust him to save you, and when you trusted him, he did save you, he forgave your sins, he credited his own righteousness to your account, and he moved in, and thus gave you his eternal life. I'm talking to you who have made that simple choice. And we must give way to the reality of what I'm calling the real you. You say, what do you mean? Well, this is a truth that we have talked much about. I think the first time I preached on it in this conference was 2002 down at Avoca. And over the years, I have referred to this over and over again. But God keeps stirring my own heart with it and opening it up even more. And it becomes more and more thrilling. 
You see, we've talked about, and uh, for those of you that uh, have not heard us talk about it, I'll just explain it again. Uh, obviously, we all have a body. Within our body is our soul. That's our self. That's our mind, affections, and our will. That's our personality. And within our soul is our spirit. And that human spirit, uh, prior to salvation, is called the old man. It's an unregenerated human spirit. And what that means is, it is separated from God. The word uh, death means separation, so it's dead to God, but it's very much alive to sin, because if you can think of concentric circles, body, soul, and spirit, the center circle is in conjunction, it's in a relationship, it's in a union with uh, indwelling sin, or what the Bible calls sin that dwelleth in us. So you have an old man connected to an old master. It's a union. It's a relationship that defiles everything that an unsaved person does. All of it is defiled because it's done in union with indwelling sin. It taints it all. It's either unrighteousness or it's self-righteousness. None of it is God's righteousness. All of it falls short of the glory of God. And the only way out of that relationship is for one of those partners to die. Somehow, the word death means separation. Somehow we've got to get separated from this tyrannical master. And the truth is we can't do it on our own. Jesus had to somehow do it for us. And friends, this is the glory of the cross. This is the agony of the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was not running from the cross in the garden when he prayed. He came to save sinners. It was the way of the cross. You say, what do you mean? You see, you remember that on crucifixion day from 12 noon to 3 in the afternoon, the entire earth was darkened. And toward the end of that time, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now look, why did he cry that out? Why did God make the entire earth dark from 12 noon to 3 in the afternoon? I believe it's because in those hours, God the Son was separated from God the Father. I don't know if we can wrap our brains around that. I was talking to Jeff about this at the break today. It's hard for us to get our, our, our minds wrapped around this. But there had never been this before. One God, three persons, they had never been separated. And now God the Son is separated. Remember the word death means separation. This was the greater death. The physical death was not the greater death. Remember he said it is finished before he died physically. This was the greater death. He was separated from the Father because he was in union with us. He had come into an actual contact With our sins. That was the agony of the garden. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God, separated from the Father and in a contact with the sins of the world. He became sin for us, unthinkable. No wonder God darkened the whole earth. It's the darkest moment in that sense. But then, the veil in the temple was rent. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice, It is finished! And voluntarily gave up the ghost. And at that moment, 
Jesus, according to Romans 6.10, died unto sin. He was separated. There was a severance. Here was this union with our sin. He became sin for us, and then he died unto sin. He was separated from sin. Now look, that's how we can get separated from sin. This principle of sin that operates within our bodies. Prior to salvation, we're joined to it. We're stuck in this terrible relationship. But when we believe in Jesus, we're placed into Jesus. Therefore, his history, therefore, his death. And at that moment, when we believe on Jesus, that death to sin is applied to us. And in the immaterial part of us, just as real as the material part of us, there's a ripping, there is a severance, there's a separation, there's a death to indwelling sin. And that old master of indwelling sin still seeks to operate within our body and soul level. But get it down, your human spirit's no longer connected to that old master. And you were raised with Christ, and here's what we're after. I've often emphasized what I've just told you in the last five minutes. But I want to emphasize far more what's coming up. Because we were raised with Christ, the new man. Now think of this. That's called a new creature in 2 Corinthians 5.17. A new creation, some creative act of God taking place. According to 1 John 3.9, it's described as the seed of God, literally the sperm of God. It's something of God's own nature implanted into you. And according to Ephesians 4 verse 24, it's, it's created after God. Now get this, in righteousness and true holiness. That means your new man is righteous. The real you is righteous. You see, that new man is holy. The real you is holy. Now, friends, it had to be righteous and holy. It's the seed of God. And it has to be righteous and holy because this is where the Spirit of Jesus moves in. When we're born again, we're raised with Christ the new man. There's this regeneration. And then the spirit of Jesus moves in and we're joined to him. And he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. We're fused to the God of the universe. And friends, that's the real you. Now, we're probably familiar with the verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he, referring to God the Father hath made him, referring to God the Son, to be sin for us. That is that picture we just saw of him coming into union with our sin. Who, referring to Jesus, knew no sin. He was perfect otherwise. It was our sin that was put on him. That we might be made. Made. Not just declared. Made. Righteous. The righteousness of God in him. Now I want to ask you a question. When it talks about Jesus becoming sin for us, was it just legal? Was it just theoretical? Or was it actual? You see, it's far more than legal. It was actual. In very fact, He became sin as much as that is possible. The sins of the world. On one. In actual fact. Okay. 
So that means the corollary, corollary is that when we trust Jesus and all of this takes place, it's not just that we're legally righteous. That's true. It's not just that it's theoretical. It's actual. Now friends, <laughs> I cannot express how powerful this truth is. I'd like to shout. I'd like to scream. Some of you need it. Uh, you can't miss this. You know, in our theological textbooks, we say justification. You're declared righteous. It's more than that. In the centermost part of you, you're made righteous. And what we often talk about is positional truth and practical truth. Positional truth, you're declared righteous. Positionally, you're righteous. Practically, you're dirty, rotten, whatever, uh, and uh, uh, so forth. And uh, by faith, you know, we want to access the position into practice. Okay, that's all true. But if you can think of position and practice, in between the two is provision. It's not just a position of righteousness. It's not just a legal righteousness. It's not just a forensic theoretical righteousness. It is an actual matter of fact righteousness. That's your new man. Your new you is righteous. It's what the Bible says. On your worst day, you're righteous. As a matter of actual fact. You say, well, what about Jeremiah 17, 9? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Okay, if we're referring to the whole total being, body, soul, and spirit, we have this glorious provision, but sometimes we don't yield to it. Yes, we can get deceived. But that part of us is not deceitful. It's the seed of God, and that's why 1 John 3, 9 says, He cannot sin. You access that part of you, and you access victory. Because that part of you is the seed of God that's joined to God himself. And the totality of that is he cannot sin. That part of you is not deceitful. Man, hallelujah. Whoa. Because Satan wants us to buy into lies that always cause us to second guess what God says is fact. He's always saying half God said. And God wants us to recognize God has said. Okay. So that's how God views us. We're righteous. He views us as a saint who still sins. We often view ourselves as saved sinners. In other words, we're often down on ourselves because often we cave into the flesh and so forth and so on. But it's a wrong view. You see, the devil wants you to define yourself by the shame that you feel on your worst day. Isn't that how he tries to make us define ourselves? He wants us to define ourselves by our sin or by somebody's sin against us. And all the shame that goes with that. That is not God's viewpoint. God says, no, you're righteous. If you're a child of God, you're righteous, you're holy. That new man is righteous and holy. It's fused to Jesus, God himself. Now, friends, this idea of just getting down in the mouth and always calling ourselves losers, that is not of God. That is the language of unbelief. 
it's, it's, it's not where God wants us to go. And see, we get this idea that, that, you know, we're defined by the shame we feel on our worst day. And we get this idea that God's way out there and that he's upset with us. And that he's frowning at us. And that he's thinking, you know, you know, yeah, you're saved, but you still are a failure. And now you don't even have an excuse for it. And we get this view of God that is distorted. It's not right. It's not accurate. No, God loves us just as much on our worst day. Because his love is unconditional. God views us. As saints, who can still sin? (laughs) But as saints, (laughs) not saved sinners. In other words, the view of God, the emphasis of God, is not on the potential for sin, it's on the potential for righteousness. Because the provision of righteousness is actually, as a matter of fact, right there. And so, here's what I find in a lot of places. People think, well, you know, I'm just a dud. Now, I don't know. Do you use that terminology in Ireland? You know what a dud is? Okay. <laughs> a loser. I remember when we used to, in the United States, uh, we have Independence Day celebration, July 4th. Uh, a lot of fireworks and stuff. When we were kids, we'd go down the street after the 4th of July and find all the firecrackers that were duds. And that means the wick uh, burned down, but the cracker didn't blow. And then we'd take the cracker itself, and we'd bust it in half, and... Uh, uh, we would, uh, they had these little things they called punks. It was not a junior hire. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was a little stick, and uh, we'd light that thing, and the sparks would fly out, and so forth and so on. And uh, we called those duds because, you know, they didn't blow when they were supposed to. They were losers. And I find that a lot of people, I'm talking adults and teenagers, have bought into the devil's lie so long They've bought into the lie that I'm just a loser and that it's become such a habit they even use the lie to cope. I can't help it. There's something fundamentally wrong with me that's too great for even God to fix. And none of us would actually say it, but it's exactly what we're thinking. And we got this idea, I'm a dud. No, you're not a dud. Did you know that when it comes to all the believers here in this audience tonight, there's not one dud here? Now, somebody might say, well, you know, I think so-and-so is a candidate. (laughs) But you know the truth is there's not a dud in this audience? If you are a child of God, you are not a dud. That old dud is gone. And the new dud's not a dud, he's a dude. Oh, well, anyway. <laughs> it is the very, <laughs> that part of us is, 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 as a matter of fact, actually righteous. And uh, it is fused to the God of heaven himself. That is the real you. So, that brings us then To where God wants us to go with this. You see, the devil wants us to play a cruel joke on ourselves. He wants us to pretend that we're righteous. When secretly down deep we know we're not. Only to eventually find out that we actually were. And see, that brings us to the second reality. Give way to the two realities. The first reality is the real you. 
This new man that's joined to the new leader that uh, is all of God. It's righteous and holy. It's the seed of God. It's joined to God. That's the real you. That brings us to the second reality. Your real response. You see, the wise men we read about here, they sought Jesus. We all see the little slogan out there, wise men still seek him. Okay, they sought Jesus. When they came to Jesus, they worshipped Jesus. And they gave sacrificial gifts to Jesus. Okay, that was a wise response. And your real response is the same. The new man part of you, the real you, wants Jesus. He does. He cannot sin, 1 John 3, 9 tells us. So let's get past all the noise of the soul. All the noise of the lies of the enemy. All the noise of the habits that clamor and tell us we're losers and duds. Let's get past the noise of the soul. And down deep in your heart of hearts, the real you wants Jesus. Every child of God in here, the real you actually loves Jesus. The real you actually wants Jesus. The real you actually chooses Jesus. So give way to the real you. See, that's your real response. That's the real you. Everything else is a false experience. Yes, it's experience, but it's false experience. It's not based on truth. What's true is you're righteous. Get rid of the devil's lies. God says you're righteous. And stop defining yourself by your past. Stop defining yourself by the shame you felt on your worst day. Stop getting this idea that God's way over there and this pile of sins is in the way when the fact is, obviously we can lose the smile of his favor, as Pastor Hirth pointed out. Obviously, in that sense, we can lose fellowship that needs to be restored, 1 John 1. But the fact is, we're still fused to God. He's not on the other side of that pile. He's on this side of the pile with us. And he looks at the pile and says, you know, that really is a stack of sins. As one author puts it, you know, don't you ever sleep? <laughs> now let's start dealing with it. But the point is you've got to realize the provision. You see, the real you wants Jesus. You know the real you worships Jesus? Just as these wise men worship Jesus, the real you worships Jesus. You've had times, I'm sure, somewhere along the way, where you've felt, can I use that word, what I'm talking about? Past the noise of the soul, past the noise of the world, past the noise of Satan's lies. And there's that heart yearning for Jesus. And that heart that even at times just says, I love you, Jesus. See, that's the real you. And that's your real response. That's why it's so good to have times where you're alone with God. And there's no self-consciousness, just God consciousness. No, no people consciousness, just God consciousness. And I uh, am in the States. I, I, I travel, obviously, most of the year. Uh, but when, uh, 
we get a chance, we, we do have a home. It's, we have a house in, in Michigan. We go to Pastor Hurst Church. And uh, uh, our house is out in the country. And uh, it has a deck off the back porch area. And uh, it's, it's private. Nobody can see me. Uh, there's one house way down the way where if they're home and they're really home, they could see me. Uh, I got a tree planted to hopefully block the view. Because what I like to do is I like to go out there. And I'm one of these guys. I, I, I move around when I preach. I move around when I pray. Most of the time, I do that because it helps me stay awake. <laughs> so if you're having trouble, you can get up and walk around. But uh, at any rate, uh, you know, so I'll go out on that porch and I'll be, uh, I'll be pacing. And if the neighbor ever is watching, she's got to be wondering, doesn't that guy, can he make up his mind? <laughs> Which side of the porch he's going to go on? But, you know, what a joy to have those moments where God just is there. Well, of course he's there, but where you become aware of it. And you experience the real you. You know what I'm talking about? Even when you blew it. But you're out there with God. And there's this yearning for God. And there's even a heart that says, God, I love you. There's a worship. There's an adoration of God. See, that's your real response. Do you know that the real you gives everything to Jesus? Just like these wise men gave gifts of gold, frankincense, and I mean the real use is God, you got it all. I'm talking about every child of God in this room tonight. It's the seed of God. And friends, the seed of God wants Jesus. The seed of God loves Jesus. The seed of God worships Jesus. The seed of God gives all to Jesus. Okay. So what we need to do is to mature into what we are. Let me say that in a better way. Allow ourselves to mature (laughs) into what we are. And the key word is trust. This is what God says is so. Now, there's the other truth of cleansing. That'll be dealt with tomorrow. But friends, this is truth. You're righteous. Your new man is holy. You're joined to the Holy One himself. You're fused. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. It can never be separated. And it's not just legal and forensic and theoretical. It's actual. It's fact. Just as Jesus became sin as much as that was possible, you became righteousness in him as much as that is possible. No wonder God calls us saints. It's what we are. And what we are responds rightly to him. So let's get past the noise of the soul, the noise of the world, the noise of Satan's lies, and listen deep, deep down that reality of truth where the spirit bears witness with our spirit, this very uh, union that we're talking about. Because down there, your response is your real response. That, That part of you loves Jesus. That part of you seeks Jesus, wants Jesus, desires Jesus, adores Jesus, worships Jesus. And friends, that part of us is willing to just say hallelujah I have found him that part of us in a song service gets so stirred we look up and tears may come or we 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 might even stick our hand in the air if we can get past all the noise of (laughs) self-consciousness and that part of you gives everything to Jesus so give way to the real you 
and watch God change you. You know, if we were to take a caterpillar to a scientist, to a biologist, and say, would you check the DNA on this and tell me what this is? If you just looked at the DNA, you know what you'd say? This is a butterfly. I know it looks like a caterpillar, but this is, in very fact, a butterfly. You know why? Because it is. And eventually, its behavior is going to match what it is. (laughs) Ah. Do you know, you could berate that caterpillar all you want to. What's with you? Where are your wings, bud? You're a dud. (laughs) You know, and we could try to help him out. We could try to snap on some wings. Or Velcro. Uh, It's not going to work. But, if he yields to what God says he is, and in the animal kingdom they obey a little bit better than we do, he soon starts flying. But I want us to understand that while he still looks like a caterpillar, he has a butterfly identity. Now, friends, we may be looking really lousy, <laughs> but our DNA spiritually is righteous, holy, soaring with wings as eagles. That's who we are. And we simply need to trust. See, faith, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Any attempt to please God without faith, it doesn't work. And friends, as we yield to him, you know, it's, it's a maturing process. You know, when a baby messes his... Diapers, is that, is that the right word? Nappy, okay. Uh, when a baby, I should remember that after all these 17 years, but at any rate, it's been a few years since the, uh, my son was doing those things. So at any rate, uh, you know, when a baby messes his nappy, you know, we don't sit there, hey, what's with you? Man, you're a dud. I got to do this every day, sometimes more than once. I got to change your nappy. <laughs> now, if he's still doing it when he's 10, we got problems. <laughs> The point is, God does want us to mature. So there's this glorious provision to mature into what we are. And if you have the right food, it's called the word of God. And you have the right exercise, it's called exercising faith in that food. You know what? You'll grow. And it doesn't mean you become a 70-year-old spiritually adult immediately. No, you begin to mature. That means not everybody's going to look the same. <laughs> in their, it depends where they're at in their journey and how far along and all that. But the fact is, if you're a child of God, the real you is righteous. It's joined to the righteous one in that glorious union. And your real response is, is that you love him. You worship him. And you say, God, you got it all. So let's give way to the real you. To realities that God says are so. Let's bow our heads for prayer. I wonder who tonight would say, preacher... 
is speaking to me. There's hope. It may be that you're on the defeated side of unrighteousness and all of that, or maybe you're on the defeated side of self-righteousness and all of that, the counterfeit religion part. Either way, this is the answer. True righteousness is the righteous one who's now joined to that regeneration, that new man in you, which is also righteous. Ah. I wonder who it's a preacher. God is opening my eyes to these realities. I know they defy my experience, but I am being stirred by the Spirit of God. This is so. And I must give way to these realities. Would you raise the hand, please? Yes, 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 yes. Amen. Yes, God bless you. Yes, amen. Are there others say, preacher, God is dealing with me. It's not that this is new truth. I know for many of you it's not new at all. But I'm telling you, if you'll let the Spirit of God sink it in that that part of you is righteous and that that part of you makes the right choice every time. I wonder who else is a preacher. God's dealing with me about getting past the noise of the soul, the noise of the world, the noise of Satan's lies, and to give way to the real me And the real response, my real response, I'll join these others and say, I need to apply this. Would you raise the hand? Yes, 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 yes. Amen. God bless you. There may be someone here tonight, and the fact is you have bought into Satan's lies a long time that you're a loser, that you're a rebel, that you're no good. And all of those things, I'm going to tell you something that is not so. If you are a child of God, I don't care about your past. I care about it. In the, uh, you understand what I'm saying? But I don't care about that as defining you. That doesn't define you. What defines you is what God says, and he says you're righteous. And your real response is that you are not a rebel. You love Jesus. You worship him. You surrender. You give all to him. And it's time to give way to the real you. Will you do it? And even if you're saying, well, you know, a lot of stuff is swirling around in my mind. Would you just say, God, whatever it is that you're speaking to me here, whatever that truth is, even though I don't have my full grasp on it, God, that's what I want. (laughs) Okay, we know what that's called. It's called trust. God begins to move. Is there anyone else that would say, preacher, God's dealing with me. I need this. I've been buying into this loser dud thing far too long. I need to, to, uh, to, to embrace what God says is so. I haven't raised my hand yet. I'll raise it now. Anyone else? Yes. Amen. Yes. God bless you. Now, is there anyone in this audience that would say, Preacher, I'm not even saved to begin with. You talked about a time where you're joined to this this sin principle and it taints everything. uh, And then there's a change when you trust Jesus. I don't know that that's ever happened for me. If I died right now or 10 years from now, I hope I'd go to heaven. But I don't know that I would. I do not know that, that I've ever been saved, that the life of Jesus has ever moved in. I don't know that that's ever happened. That's my need. Would you raise the hand? Anyone at all? Father, I pray that you'll continue to work in our hearts. Lord, thrill us with this glorious truth. Lord, help us to see it. Revel in it. And even through the din that can occur just various time periods in a day, Spirit of God, would you bring to our remembrance who we really are in Christ, who we're actually fused to as the energy source, 
and what our real response is to that glorious leader. Oh, God, keep that before us, I pray. And may we give way to these realities in simple faith. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand our feet, please. I don't always do this. I sense I ought to tonight. If God's speaking to you, I'd encourage you to come.